Okay, I want to begin uh, with a question. A question you might have heard before. Who is Jesus? Now that's an important question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Now I hope me asking you that question doesn't unsettle you too much. You're probably more used to having the vicar answer that question than ask it. Um, but don't worry, they did interview me well when I came here um, for the job of vicar. Um, and my theological college made sure that I did plenty of exams uh, before they let me loose. But who is Jesus? Next, next slide, please. You see, we've said, uh, we'll, we'll say the creed, or well, a, a short creed later in the service. I'm sure quite a few of us probably know um, some of the creeds even maybe off by heart. We know lots of things about Jesus. But who is Jesus? Or here's a similar question, but a bit closer to home. What do you say about Jesus? What does he mean to you? Who is he to you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever been asked that? What would you say? Now, maybe the question fills you with excitement, a delight to tell people who Jesus is, or maybe it fills you uh, with a bit of fear, maybe makes you a bit unsettled. Gosh, I don't really know what I'd say. People might find out I'm a fake or just get a bit unsettled. I don't quite know. Well, last week, Steve started us off on our new sermon series on the book of John, John's Gospel. It's one of the four accounts of Jesus's life, and it's written to tell us who Jesus is. And like the other Gospels, it spends a lot of time also talking about Jesus's death. But John's Gospel is a bit different to the other Gospels, the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You see, in John's Gospel, strangely, we don't seem to get many parables. Instead, we get quite dense teaching. Now, thankfully, John has a bit of a habit of repeating himself. He kind of goes right. It's, it, to some extent, it feels a little bit like he's going round and round in circles. But it's not so much a circle. It's more like a spiral. Every time he circles round it, he adds more in, more depth, more height, more wonder, more to what he said previously. Um, last week, you will have heard the first few verses of John's Gospel. In fact, I think two slides on, uh, Rachel. And one more, great. You know those famous words, in the beginning was the word, the prologue. John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's a lot of repetition there, isn't there? But did you see how he builds on it each time? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's something amazing about this Word of God. And then now, as we make it to today's passage, as we get to verse 19 of chapter 1, John changes from these lofty statements to the historical account. It's now narrative, it's now story. The historical account of what happened all those years ago. But even now, he's not quite ready to reveal who this word of God is. 
He needs to raise the suspense a bit more. We need to think a bit more about John the Baptist. Next slide. You see, John the Baptist had obviously been causing a bit of a stir, and it wasn't just his hair or his clothes. You see, it was a big enough stir that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, well, they'd opened up an investigation into him. There's something about him, something about the things that he says, the things that he does, something that's got their attention, maybe even something that's got them a bit worried. Who is this man? What's he up to? At least, what does he say? Does he have something to hide? Should we be worried? Should we maybe even be excited? Let's go and check him out. So they send some priests and some Levites to ask him who he was. Question one, are you the Messiah? I am not the Messiah. Question two, are you Elijah? I am not. It's starting to sound a bit like the yes or no game, doesn't it? So then question three, are you the prophet? No. You can almost hear the frustration in their voices in verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And so John replies, explaining who he is, but he doesn't use his own words. He quotes someone else. Verse 23, John replies with the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Next slide. What's John's identity? Well, he's the preparation in the wilderness. He's the warm-up act before the main event. He's getting people ready for something better. And he's not just letting people know about what's going to come. He's preparing them for what's going to come. He's making things straight. Now, this is the Judean wilderness. It's not a very flat place, sure it isn't. Imagine trying to build a road through there. You need a fairly hefty bulldozer. See, John was there to prepare, to prepare the way for the Lord. Because the world spiritually as well as physically was a bit crooked, a bit higgledy-piggledy, topsy-turvy all over the place. John is here to prepare. That's John's identity. He's the preparation. But there's another question. And this time it's by another group of religious people. It's the Pharisees. And instead of John's identity, they ask him about his baptism in the River Jordan. Next slide. They ask him, why do you baptize? What on earth are you doing? And John, John gives them another answer. But again, it's not quite the answer that they're expecting. In verse 26, he says, I baptize with water, but... And that but's pretty impressive, pretty important even. He says, but among them is someone greater who's going to do something even more amazing. You see, John's baptism as well, it's only a preparation. Someone greater is on their way. You could even call John's baptism kind of like a warm-up baptism, 
before the main event, the main baptism. In fact, in verse 31, John says that his baptism would lead to Jesus being revealed to Israel. It's more preparation, more showing who's coming. You see, John's identity is to testify that someone greater is coming. And John's baptism is to reveal that a greater baptism is coming. So John's done his bit. Are you ready now for the curtains to be pulled back and the greater one to be revealed? Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's appeared. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought how strange that phrase, the Lamb of God, must sound. Next slide. A Lamb of God. You see, if you've recently joined us, the Lamb of God might sound as meaningful as the puppy of God or the kitten of God. It's a bit strange, isn't it? Why a lamb? Sheep are a bit daft. What's a lamb got to do with God? Well, in the Old Testament, lambs weren't just a source of food. Next slide. They're also used for sacrifice. You see, sacrifices that would deal with sin. The people, they'd see that lamb there in their place. They'd see the lamb dying instead of them. See, this is the thing about sin. Sin cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. Sin must be punished by death. But God in his mercy allowed people a way to pay for sin without dying. A lamb could take their place. Now giving your lamb was still costly. You couldn't eat it. Your flock would be smaller. It was a sacrifice. It cost you something. But it allowed you to be forgiven to live. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the one who will be sacrificed, who was sacrificed, to take away the sins of the world. He's the one who's going to make things right. But it's going to involve his death. It's going to involve death. See, think of this, we're only halfway through the first chapter of John's Gospel, but already we've begun to think about Jesus' death. That's quite shocking, isn't it? Jesus is the man who was born to die. He came to die so that we can live. And that's why Jesus is greater than even John the Baptist. He came to accomplish something so much greater. John was just the preparation, but Jesus was the Passover lamb. But there's another thing about Jesus, and it's this, it's his baptism. When John baptizes Jesus, he sees something amazing, and here's something amazing. Verses 32 and 33, then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, 
But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Next slide. You see, just in case John got the wrong man, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove on Jesus. And God had told John to look out for this. He'd said earlier, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Baptism with water, now baptism with the Holy Spirit. You see, water is great, isn't it? Water can clean you. It can remove stains, it can remove all that dirt. But it can only do that physically. It can only do that on the outside. We need something else, something on the inside. We need our hearts to be changed, our hearts to be baptized. I've taken quite a few baptisms in my ministry already, though not as many as John. But like John, I can only sprinkle or dunk. I can only make people wet. You see, the baptism that I perform is only an outward sign. But the baptism that Jesus performs is an inward reality. Even heart surgeons can't do what Jesus does. Jesus baptizes hearts, baptizes everything inside the person as well as out. He gives spiritual life. He gives the Holy Spirit to all who believe. Isn't that so much better? So much more wonderful. See here, halfway through chapter one, Jesus has been introduced. The curtain has been pulled back. He's standing on the stage and he hasn't yet opened his mouth. But already we have learned so much about Jesus, his identity. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who will die. And we've also learned about his baptism. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus changes us on the inside where it matters. He can give us eternal life, spiritual life. So let's return to that question that I asked. Next slide, please, Rachel. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? I wonder... Are you a bit like the people questioning John the Baptist? You're not quite sure if someone more important than Jesus is coming, more important than John. You're a bit confused with all these people and all the things that they're saying and doing. Well, hear what John says at the end of today's passage in verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John the Baptist says that Jesus is God's chosen one. He's constantly saying that Jesus is more important. And it's not just him. The other John, John the Apostle, who wrote this gospel, well, he says near the end in chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
You see, if you're not sure who Jesus is, if you're a bit confused, if you're not sure if he really is God's chosen one, whatever that might actually mean, well, keep coming. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be thinking more about that as we journey through John's Gospel. And you might also want to come along to the What If course. It's exactly the kind of thing that we'll be thinking more about Jesus, more about who he is, that you can raise questions if you have and find out more. Who is Jesus? Well, of course, there'll be others of us here who have known Jesus for years, for decades. We know he's important. We trust in him. We know he came to take away sins. We know he can baptize us with his Holy Spirit. But maybe we've grown a little bit stale. Maybe we're a little bit lukewarm. You see, there'll be lots of things clamoring for our attention, gently pulling us away from Jesus. But let's remember Simon Peter's words that we've got for this year's verse on our fridge magnets. Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, that's what we'll be discovering afresh over the coming weeks. Who Jesus is, the words of eternal life that he has got. So cling on to Jesus. Cling on to him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away our sins, your sins and my sins. He can do that. And he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He baptizes you, he baptizes me. He is the one who has surpassed everyone else. So let's pray and thank the Lord for who he is. Lord Jesus Christ, we are only beginning our time in this gospel. But yet so much has been said about you even before you have walked onto the pages of this book. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you are the Lamb of God, that you are that sacrificial Lamb who died in our place because sins can only be dealt with death by someone dying, by someone shedding their blood. And so we thank you that you did that for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you as well that your baptism is greater than anyone else's. John and ministers today can only baptise with water a sign of what's going on in the inside. But Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you baptize us with your spirit, that you change us from the inside out, that you are able to do that, that you choose to do that. So Lord, if we have grown a little bit stale, please would you draw us back to you? Would you fill our hearts and our minds? Would you warm our hearts with you, who you are, and if we've got questions, please would they be answered over these coming weeks, both through this sermon series and the What If course as well, and through chatting with each other and asking questions, please would you be at work, deepening our faith, bringing us to faith. And we pray that in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.